Hello, I'm attorney Barry Boykin. I'm attorney Kevin Johnson. Welcome to episode 29 of Dynamite Divorce and Other Matters. Well, it's really good to be here again with you, Barry. We have with us today a celebrity guest, attorney Andrea Rice. Welcome. Thank you for having me today. So for those of us who haven't seen you walk the hallways of the Daily Center and in court for 20 years, uh, those of us out there, listeners who don't know you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, uh, I've been practicing for about 22, 23 years here in Cook County, Illinois. Uh, I grew up in Chicago. I grew up on the west side of Chicago and uh, transplanted to the south side uh, in junior high. I uh, went to law school, Loyola, and it was there that I made a decision. I wanted to be a divorce attorney. And here I am today. What could possibly have led you to think that divorce law would be a good area of law? Why not corporate practice? Why not real estate? Personal injury. Well, oh, personal I, injury. Make some money. Yes. I remember the show L.A. Law. And I remember Arnie Becker. And of all of the attorneys, he seemed to be the one that had the most fun. Wait, you thought that being a lawyer would be fun? What? Being <laughs> Did, a divorce attorney is fun. Okay. Yes. But back then you thought it would be fun. You didn't think of all the hard work of getting through law school and everything? or No, I just saw how he would come into mm -hmm. cases and he had the the goods on the husband. Uh, he represented the wife and he had the pictures of the the... <laughs> The husband with the girlfriends, the bank accounts, and wow, what fun. And I have that in my practice as well, too. So, In flagrante derelicto. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so not, <laughs> isn't it? Not, not that far. <laughs> not that well, far, but sometimes close. <laughs> well, you know. As we are uh, sitting around and, and smiling at each other, uh, I can see that you don't look like a burned out husk of a, of a battle hardened attorney. Somehow, some way you've been able to preserve a spark of humanity. In fact, it looks like maybe a spark of enthusiasm. Is that right? I, I, I love what I do. Don't you hate it when attorneys come to the table with their fists all balled up and screaming and yelling and I just, at some point in my practice, I decided to do it a little bit differently, approach people differently. Well, you know, and it's so intimidating. I tell clients when I'm nice <laughs> to the other side, when I'm confident, calm, and, and that it freaks people out because the other attorney think, what, what do you got up your sleeve? Why are you so calm? And you're probably very intimidating in court because you're so confident and calm and, and professional, friendly. Iron fist. Iron fist. Okay, okay. What did they say? Iron fist and a velvet glove. Is that you? Well, when you approach people nicely, they don't know how tough you can be. They underestimate you. And mm. usually people in depositions with me, oh, they're in for a surprise. <laughs> a deposition <laughs> for, for our non-attorney listeners is when you have it all arranged to have a court reporter, a little stenog a stenographer in the room, and you get the chance to ask the other side questions without their lawyer making up the answers for them, the way written discovery, written stuff is, right? You get to ask them directly, and you smile at them, 
And then you just ask that question. That I just smile at them. I have a very <laughs> casual voice. Okay, Mr. Smith. Did you have a bank account at Chase ending in one, two, three, four? <laughs> and they just they just want to please you because you know, and then want to please me. And when they <laughs> out come the exhibits, and you go, yes, <laughs> yes. Oh, I don't have any Chase accounts. I'm showing you now what's been marked as deposition exhibit four. Isn't this your name on this account with ten thousand dollars in it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that, that's when they know that it's the iron fist and the velvet glove. You know, you're nice, but only because it's a professional way to do it, right? Absolutely. So I heard a rumor that you have your practice named the world's happiest divorce attorney. Is that right? That is right. I am the world's happiest divorce attorney. So what makes you happier than me, for example? <laughs> Just kidding. What, why are you so happy? I would not say that I'm happier than any particular person. I do have challenges. I do have conflicts. Uh, what I try to do with my practice is uh, I try to bring my clients to realize and receive the new changes in their life uh, with their family, different living situations. Why fight it? Let's just accept it and move on. And I try to do that in my own life. too. Well, thank you for being here. And thank I'll you for having me. In trying to come up with a topic for this pod, I really appreciated your suggestion. How did you entitle it? What was your idea for a topic? Moving on during the divorce and moving on after the divorce. So moving on, meaning accepting the changes, going with the flow, things are going to be different, right? Absolutely. Things are going to be different. We may be living in different households. We may be living in different counties. We may very well be living in different states. What do we do with that? What do we do with this new reality uh, that we have to go through? Before we go further. This podcast is no substitute for the specific legal advice you will get by consulting one-on-one -on -one with a licensed attorney in your state or country. We hope that before taking any action that might change your life or your financial situation and before making decisions that might significantly affect your children and the people around you, you do find and meet with a licensed attorney. Now, now on, with, on the with the show. Can you tell me why this topic is so important? Well, I believe the three of us are divorce attorney veterans, and we have seen... <laughs> yes, battle-hardened, battle-scarred <laughs> veterans. <laughs> so many families and, and even attorneys leave that courtroom with bad feelings, angry feelings, maybe some that are so substantial that they lead to high blood pressure, all other kind of health issues. And why does it have to be like that? It's a difficult transition for many. And isn't it better to just leave that courtroom with, you know what, I have a new reality I got to do it differently. Let me just receive it and see how I can make this a better rest of the life for myself. Yeah, the thought that comes to my mind, every one of our clients has to grapple with. And we have a wide variety of clients who are in different stages. And by that, I mean, they've been separated for 20 years in a few of my cases. Uh, some have been separated for, uh, it used to be that you had to be separated at least two years. 
Some have been separated perhaps for a day. And so we have to meet our clients where they are, where they are in that stage mm -hmm. of their development. Have they moved on? Do they even know mm -hmm. where their spouse is when they come to our office? So those mm -hmm. are questions that come up quite frequently. So if somebody doesn't have an attorney, they don't really know what they're in for, but they're in for a series of changes. Some of them are going to be changes in the legal structure of their lives, right? Maybe they're going to be now single, not married. Maybe the decision-making of their child is going to be structured in a different way. Maybe they will have medical decisions. There's X will have school decisions. Sometimes that's how they do it. There's going to be maybe a parenting schedule. No longer will they just be free to see their child whenever they want. There'll be a structure to it. There'll be a parenting schedule. Absolutely. So, so this is things that they're facing in the future, even if they don't have an attorney, right? Absolutely. Yes. So I think why you wanted this topic, Andrea, and uh, again, it's a good topic, is to help people understand there are ways to get through this transition, right? There's always a light at the end of the tunnel. Tomorrow is going to come, and let's just make tomorrow better. Speaking of uh, Mr. Attorney Boykin uh, mentioned the differences in parties actually separating. Remember that there are some clients who have not separated, who are in the same household. And uh, I, I know I get several of those and it's like, what do we do? One of the things that I try to do with those clients is get them to focus on the, actually seeing the changes. What do we do when I'm living with my former spouse and she starts to date? Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Wait, uh, former spouse, after, they're not going to live together after the divorce, right? You're saying, well, really? I've seen cases where uh -huh. it's just much affordable to live together for a while, especially now, because if you're talking about the parties living in the same household, naturally child support is a non-issue, but usually dating is the biggest discussion that I have with clients that are in that position. <laughs> I, I would think That's so. That's always a wild card. Well, so that situation would have, and you know, when I represent clients who want a divorce, even while they're still living together, sometimes the case will play out and they're still in the same house. Absolutely. I had one of those, I had one of those not too long ago where right until the bitter end, they were living together. Neither one of them mm -hmm. wanted to move out. Mm -hmm. uh, finally, finally, the husband moved out, but only like at the very bitter end. And, and uh, I don't know, um, that was very tense and, I don't know if there's anything I can make it better. There's children in the house, mm -hmm. husband and wife in the midst of a divorce. I don't know if you have any ideas that would make that more livable. But, I, but in a situation where the marital home has to be refinanced and until it's refinanced, the bank doesn't care that it didn't work out between the two of them. <laughs> right, right. Well, so, that, you know, that brings up a good point. Legally, you can't deed the house to your soon to be X before you're divorced. Am I right? I, I think say you think, well, we're almost divorced and I want to go refinance the house. So here, give me a deed so I can go to the bank and get and get a refinancing while they're still married. I don't think that makes a difference. I think that, that in Illinois law, it doesn't matter if husband deeds to wife, wife deeds to husband. As long as they're still married, there's still a, kind of a shared ownership. It gets complicated. That can become very, very complicated. I had one situation where before I represented my client, he deeded the house to 
the wife, which was required by the judgment, and then the wife fell into foreclosure problem. The bank did not care that this relationship did not work out. And uh, now we have a, a spouse that is not entitled, but they're still on the hook for this mortgage. And uh, that can lead to all kinds of complications. For Wait, my I'm, not, I'm not sure I understand. So they, they were already divorced, judgment signed, Correct. And, then one, and one was going to be leaving. So they gave a deed to the remaining spouse, the one that was going to stay. Absolutely. The okay. judgment required him to tender a quick claim deed to the wife. He did. And uh, he thought it was done. But he but wasn't off the loan. He wasn't he off wasn't the loan. That's exactly my point. And that's what I mean about the bank did not care that this relationship did not work out. Right. And at the, this point, right. he's yeah. on the hook for the mortgage, but he's not entitled, which really can put you in a very, very bad situation. There's actually a probably a good hint to give people is that unless you're looking at getting off the loan, you probably don't want to give a deed and, and let Sorry, that. Yeah. Are well, you with what me? I, I'm here. Well, what I do what I do, and I, I guess I'm anticipating uh, your your reaction. Uh, what I do now is uh, I have my client execute the deed and send a copy. I keep the original. I have the original, and when that refinance is ready to occur, I'm going to bring the original out at that point. That gives the client a little bit more protection. He's still entitled. If there's a death of the ex-wife, you're still entitled. Uh, if there, if it's a tenancy by the entirety, uh, you may have some different issues, but at least you still have some control. So there are some things that, uh, and as you all know, we attorneys, we have to think outside of the box. And we're not always talking about parties just separating and heading in different directions. There very well may be a, a mesh of issues <laughs> that they're still entangled and we, we need to know the real world solution. What do we do to protect this client? Sure. And for parties out there to protect themselves. Absolutely. Um, if in Illinois, there's a kind of a ceremony called a closing. Uh, other states may differ, but when real estate changes hands or when there's a refinancing, a pack of papers are signed. The person signing a new loan agreement and you know it's a big thing with the bank. And at that point, ownership can change. So mm -hmm. if they all go to the, whatever it is, the title company or wherever this closing is being held, then a deed can be signed right on the spot. But the person is seeing with their own eyes that a new loan is being taken out. They're no longer on the loan, right? So that's Absolutely. probably the safest way because hand over the deed and still be on the loan, no longer the owner of the property, yet mm -hmm. you still owe on the bank note. That's a bad uh, situation. <laughs> it is. It's a very bad situation. And uh, I usually just ask my clients to execute the deed, the grant or grantee statement. These are our documents and uh, descriptions that we use here in Cook County. What other states do, or what other counties do, what they call it, I just don't know. That way, we have some proof that my client has at least complied with the judgment. He signed the deed. He signed all of the necessary documents. We just don't want to record it yet because we don't want him to lose um, his interest and his protection totally. 
So if they don't have an attorney and they have someone who can make up a deed for them, like maybe the ex's attorney does it, but they sign it and then maybe send over just a photocopy, but don't hand over the original signed notarized deed. Absolutely. Let me tell you about a case that I had in December, which involved uh, a divorce judgment, marital settlement agreement, and multiple properties. Uh-huh. And so the the wife had to quick claim a deed for the property the husband was keeping. Husband had to quick claim a deed for the property the wife was keeping. Uh-huh. So we have multiple documents relating to these transactions. And then ultimately we have the closing to refinance the, the property. One of the other properties was owned free and clear. The other property had to be refinanced or a loan taken whatsoever. Come to find out that the property the husband was quick claiming, uh, there was a cloud on the title when we got to that point, uh, which was fairly easy clear, cleared up. It, it, there was a possibility the title company thought that there might be some interest in the in-laws, by the in-laws of father's parents, who are still in the old country. Now you're using and a so, term. You're using a term, cloud in the title. That means that there might have been another owner, a mysterious ownership of somebody else, or not clear that the person giving the title, that being the ex now, had a clear title, had the full ownership. Maybe somebody else has a little bit of a ownership. Is that what you're thinking? There might be a little. Exactly right. Did, did was there a could there be a possible claim by these persons that during the divorce we knew nothing about? That <laughs> surprise, and now and now it pops up. Okay, uh, do they have an interest or not? But happy ending to the story. You know, successful conclusion is that uh, they they got the necessary affidavits. We signed an affidavit, which is a statement made under oath, saying, you know, there no such claim exists or is valid. And therefore, we can proceed to transfer ownership to as as we all had agreed should happen. Well, there's some there's a lesson there here in Cook County and probably the state of Illinois. When there's a going to be a transaction involving ownership of real estate, the title company <clears throat> does a title search. Mm-hmm. They essentially they write up insurance policy as part of the deal. They give title insurance. They guarantee that the person giving the property or selling the property owns it. So it's always clear make sure that you're getting clear title. And I guess that would be for us, for our listeners who don't have attorneys, make sure the title company is issuing a clear title. They're saying, yes, you, you are getting this directly from the owner and this person actually owns the property, right? So. Well, one of the things that I do now is I look it up myself. I go to Now, the clerk's office, uh, we no longer have, uh, from what I understand, just recently learned, a recorder of deeds office. I believe the recordings are handled through the clerk's office now. And I just looked up. I had one client who swore he owned this property. And then when I did a search, it's not in your name. (laughs) 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 So I make it a point to download the deed as well as the mortgage documents so that we're clear. For the life of me, I still don't understand how you can be entitled but not on the mortgage. You know, sometimes... When you, I, now, you're I, using a... Using how a, that's possible. So you're using a term called in, untitled or entitled. And entitled. What, the, what the heck is that, right? So for our listeners, that means 
there is a document that says you own the property. And what is it? It's usually a deed given by the previous owner. So that says, you know, Joe Smith, grantor, hereby conveys unto Sally Smith, grantee. That'd be you, the grantee, the now owner of the property. So you should be able to find a deed in the records, which are now available in Cook County on the internet that says, I'm the grantee. I've been given title. Here's a deed. And you're saying the one guy, you didn't find that. There's no deed with his name on it. I found a corporation (laughs) that owned the property. So, of course, I'm asking more questions. And the good thing about this situation was we, me and opposing counsel were well before proving the matter up. So Mm -hmm. we knew what the status of the property was. I was able to ask my client, what the corporation? I mean, now you're dealing with the (laughs) separate and to make it even more complicated, the corporation was dissolved. <laughs> so, uh, just, a, just, just a lot of leg work up front was needed. And uh, what we would imagine, what type of situation they would have been in after the judgment had been entered. And if one person got mad at another person and I'm not executing any documents and now we have a dissolved corporation, it would have been a pure mess. So Mm -hmm. before we were able to reestablish the corporation for the sole purpose of executing these deeds so that they could go to who they agreed would receive the several pieces of property. So um, wow. <laughs> that the divorce attorney has to be mindful of is not just going into court, which is what a lot of uh, lay people think. Oh, it's just going into court and just saying some, some words and that's it. I'm done. Uh, well, a lot of legwork has to be done beforehand. Right. You know, so yeah, some of that carrying out what is agreed to is, you know, the straightforward, we're going to have a deed signed or whatever. But there are other messier things like some people want to put lists of furniture in a divorce case. I won't do that. But, you know, like you're entitled to the credenza, the sofa and that 50 inch TV. And I think, are you nuts? Because what happens is what if that stuff's not there? What if it's been sold and it's no longer, you know, I will, I tell people I won't fight over furniture. You go buy some more. I will fight. But uh, before I do, I just explain to the client, and I believe I had this situation, and uh, mm-hmm. I just uh, broke it down. Do you want to pay me my hourly rate to worry about a used washer and dryer? <laughs> right. Or do you want to just go out and buy a new washer and dryer? <laughs> so, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, so- I, I just want the client to be clear on. What are we fighting over? If we're fighting over a washer and dryer, you don't understand. It's the principle of the thing. I can't leave by behind, you know. Right. That's fine. <laughs> Do not complain about the legal fees that are going to be generated from arguing and hi- hiring attorneys and having two attorneys and a judge decide what to do with a used washer and dryer. I, I guess I maybe I burned out on on furniture and stuff, but I just I'll just say straight out, you know. I'm not, I'm not going to fight for uh, stuff like that. It, furniture that can be, I mean, maybe if it was a family heirloom, you know, irreplaceable. Yeah. So, I mean, there maybe, you know, but then, then you would really try to get control of it before 
the divorce. Make sure that's just done ahead of time. Maybe trade something to the other side for it, but get it done. I, leaving it, it till the end when it's in the wording of a divorce judgment, and then you have to somehow carry it out. I think it's- Oh, it's, it shouldn't be a part of the judgment. What I typically do is I just, well, before COVID, remember those carbonless blank copies <laughs> of orders? Yeah. Uh, we'll probably never see those again. But I just give it to my client, list all the personal property. Speak now, forever hold your peace. And then have a session where they just split the stuff up. And they just split it. Maybe bring it. some friends along if they need to, to prevent arguing, or maybe that makes it worse if they have friends. But the idea is at the end of this session, now they've got what they want, right? And if they don't, if there's loose ends, you deal with it. But people sometimes have, think have an inflated value of the furniture. Well, I paid $1,000 for that sofa. Well, how many years ago? Well, six not, years ago. Clients. I'm sure I have an inflated value of my IP too. <laughs> so I'm not going to put that off on lay people. It's, uh, garage sale values are what I think you know. You have to say, well, if you set it out on the front curb and said, you know, garage sale, what would somebody come and pay for it? Well, probably twenty-five bucks. Okay, so get off your thousand-dollar <laughs> valuation. So okay. actually, I was gonna, I was gonna jump in with a slightly variation to the topic, which was that I, I thought that the world's happiest divorce lawyer also has another meaning, which some might take, some some might not take, which is that you could ask the question. How can you have a happy divorce? And so, and so it's my experience. I just want to jump off with my experience that quite often there's a fair number of my clients that when that day comes, they're very happy, happy, relieved. Oh my God, I've been waiting for this day. It might have been the case was going on for two years. And they, they come to court dressed in their finest. <laughs> they're, they're spiffy. I'm telling you. So and, that's a, and, I mean, and they have a plan for a party part afterwards. Three today. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just wanted to throw that in there that that it, it, you know that happiness sometimes comes when we when we have done the job well. We get to that day and the judge says, "Okay, I wish you the best and and go out and and uh, live your life." Yeah, it doesn't have to be bitter. I it I've does met not. I've met people uh, divorce attorneys. <clears throat> yes, in this industry. I met one person one time, a, a very experienced older attorney. I'm older now, but then I was younger. And he said something like, the divorce is just the beginning. You know, when oh, I heard it, the, the divorce is just the beginning. And I thought he looked at it as, well, they get divorced and then the problems continue and then the falls come and you have to solve the problems from the divorce. And I look at it in a more optimistically, I think if you're careful to draft, and that means in the world, lawyer, lawyer world, that means right. If you're careful to draft, good, clear language that everybody, each party knows what their rights are, especially, I mean, I've said this on many episodes, but especially parenting time schedules that are so clear, you know what you got, you know when your holidays are, you've got definite dates. I think some people feel that conflict is inevitable. They're going to fight after the divorce. They're going to argue. And I don't. I'm more optimistic. I think if you write clear language, if the judgment is clear as to when you get your kids for parenting time or who's to pay money for what. And as much as possible, you avoid things that are mushy, like the party shall equally divide the expenses for the child's activities. I hate that language because, you know, then you get in a negotiation, a dispute arises, clear language and stay on your side of the fence and you can have a peaceful life. I like to be optimistic. So I guess I'm with you on that. Imagine a person, uh, a party 30 years after the divorce, still bitter. Yep. 
can you imagine the size of the ulcer in that person? And why does it have to be that way? I mean, somewhere along the lines, that person couldn't let go. And that is just so distressing to me. And that's now, why I try how to do do you, live differently. Well, how do you, um, with kids involved, as we talked about divorce and custody cases, how do you avoid them carrying that rock in their stomach for years? Well, I just try to explain it to clients that be careful what you're communicating to your child when you carry all those bad feelings about mom, when you carry all those bad feelings about dad. Just don't assume that the child doesn't know just because you haven't had a direct conversation with you. They can be picking up on your body language or maybe the way you say dad's name or something like that. They're very, very perceptive. And uh, let, let's, let's, let's just try to do it a different way. Sometimes I give my clients a script. Okay, this is what you will say. These are the words that you will say. Maybe, maybe this is an area that they are not aware of. And maybe they just need to know how to communicate a little bit better, how to communicate or say something about dad without rolling your eyes or so like that. This point that Andrew is making, it, it's a struggle for me on a few of my cases where, and, and it may not, it may not just, just be one party, the case I'm thinking of, it's both parties, mm-hmm. that, that uh, their language towards each other and uh, their, their, the barbs and, sni- and snide remarks and the, the digs and, and the insults, they're just constant. And, I, it, and there's a 12-year-old daughter. And I admonish my client. I say, well, you're really not helping your case by these comments that where you call the father stupid and an idiot and what kind of father does such and such. And, uh, oh, my God, where are you going with this? Mm-hmm. And she says, well, she says, lots of time I bite my tongue and, and I don't say what's on my mind. And he and his fiance are constantly r- running me down <laughs> and, and they're talking about me and, and so forth. And I just so far I can take it, you know, and then I just have to let loose, you know. Oh. <laughs> well, it, it looks like we're coming to the end of our time for part one of this episode 29 here with attorney andrea rice as our guest see you on our next half part two look forward to seeing you then